All right, let's go to Hebrews chapter 13, can we please? Hebrews chapter 13, the um, next two Wednesday nights, Pastor Wilkerson will be out of pocket, one of those in Iloilo, Philippines, for the pastor's conference for Brother Rick Martin, another one up in, um, for another pastor's conference of about 70 pastors, and their wives will be at a, at a retreat that I'll be speaking next Wednesday night at. And please pray that God will help me. We'll have good services here, but certainly want the Lord's help in those ways. And you know, sometimes you, I wonder, and it's nothing, I, I would say this personally, that I don't, I don't like to necessarily, I don't have any place I want to go. There's no place I'd rather preach than right here with you. We know each other. I love you. You love me. We're serving Christ together. And there's sometimes I think probably I've said yes when I probably should have said no. But then there's also opportunities that whenever you can encourage a pastor, uh, you can reach the world sometimes through that pastor. If a man or a woman can be encouraged and helped, and many times I take those meetings because I feel like that it's an opportunity to, to encourage other men of God. And I know that there's two people, two groups of people that don't like it when I'm gone, and that is my own family doesn't always like that, and you don't like that. And I'm kind of surprised but happy you don't like it. And uh, at the same time, uh, I want to be an extension of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be an extension of this church. And uh, when opportunities come, not every opportunity is an obligation, but they're oftentimes very spiritually significant. And I now have had the opportunity to be an extension of you and your love to the world in places where I can see now the ongoing investment and uh, the results when people are sending me pictures of people they're discipling now. They didn't have a discipleship program. They're seeing couples that are getting saved and baptized and growing the Lord. And some are going off into ministry and starting Bible institutes and things that they learn as a result of just a few, few hours spent together. I want to thank you for praying and uh, thank you for supporting that. But I'm looking forward to tonight. I wanted to share with you just a little bit of a review. I have been reading the book of Hebrews in recent days and of course, Hebrews is the only book of our New Testament where we don't really know who wrote it. We know that Matthew wrote Matthew, and Mark wrote Mark, and Luke wrote Luke, and John wrote John. We know that Acts uh, was written by Luke, and we know each of those books, and Paul wrote 13 of the books. We don't really know who wrote the book of Hebrews. God chose to keep it anonymous. Most people, I would, have, would believe, what I believe is probably the Apostle Paul was the human instrument. Whoever wrote it knew Timothy. We know that, and, and some of the style that they write it with would be indicated with Paul, but, but we don't know, and I don't think we're going to spend a lot of time talking about that and arguing about that. But it might be because of the group of people specifically, he was a, uh, the apostle to what group of people? The Gentiles. But he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew both sides of the aisle. He knew the, the, the Gentiles. The Gentiles needed to be taught. He says, I am a, I am a, I see, I'm a preacher, you know, proclaim God's word. I'm an apostle. I've sent out. That's what the apostle means, a sent one. And then he says, I am a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. You know, whenever, whenever Paul or anyone, Peter, was speaking to the Jewish people, they didn't really need a lesson on Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the ram caught in a thicket, or the law. They didn't need to know the Ten Commandments. They, they knew that. Uh, 
However, when Paul went to the regions beyond, to Macedonia, to Corinth, and, and those people had to have a little more background. He couldn't come into that, gr- to that group of people with the same understanding. They didn't know about Adam and Eve. They didn't know about the law. They didn't know about Abraham and the, and the ram stuck in, in the thicket whenever he's going to kill Isaac. They didn't know the types and shadows of the Old Testament. So when, they, when he came to town, it wasn't just one, two, three, pray after me. You already know what you need to do. It wasn't something that was a quick thing. And, of course, it wasn't that way with the Jews. God had to do a work. And, but oftentimes in the, in the first century, he would use signs, of uh, sign gifts, miracles, and things to get their attention. But to the Gentiles, there had to be a lot of information and a foundation uh, laid for them to get it. When he went into to Philippi or to Thessalonica or Corinth or uh, Ephesus, a lot of those situations, those were people that had no clue. They didn't know what a synagogue was. They didn't have any idea what the Jews believed. And so there was a lot of teaching. He said, I, I had to go through a lot of things. Remember when he was on Mars Hill, he reasoned with the people. Reasoned. So he, was, he had to lay a lot more foundation than some folks that had uh, just preaching only to the Jews. Now, the Jews had a little bit more uh, kickback because they felt like that they were rejecting and bringing this false, false uh, Messiah, Jesus. They wouldn't accept him. But uh, he was a teacher of the Gentiles. But I think if Paul did write the book of Hebrews, he definitely knew both sides of the aisle. But Jews, it was written to the Hebrews, written to the Jewish people, and they probably, if the Lord had given him the opportunity to sign his name and said, this is Paul, they would say, oh, we know how Paul is, and he's always overreaching the Gentiles. What's he got to say to me, <laughs> you know? Maybe some of you read a book, if you read Louis L'Amour or Agatha Christie, and you're, you kind of know how they're going to go, what's going to happen at the end, the good guy wins, right? And they catch the, 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 the murderer or whatever. You kind of say, oh, yeah, I can tell how they're going to do this. Well, he didn't put his name on it, so maybe that's why. But I do know this, he wrote to Hebrew believers. Hebrew means a foreigner, a traveler. Uh, Abraham was called the Hebrew. It's someone who was a nomad moving around. And, uh, and so uh, they, he wrote to them. Many of them, I think, I think, by the way, if you don't realize the book of Hebrew was written to Christians, you'll get squirrely in chapter 6 and 10. It'll kind of mess with you. It's written to Christian people. It's written to believers. These people who received this, they were Christians. They already had accepted Christ. Now, some of them were struggling. They were wondering, is it worth it to go through what we're going through, to be persecuted, to have kids put their, their mothers out on the street, to keep them from their grandkids and making them widows? If that church is all that, then let them take care of you. You're not going to be infiltrating our grandkid, our, your grandkids in my house. Moms and dads were were split up because of divorce, because of someone getting saved, and, and kids were beaten. and it was a, it was, People got fired from their jobs for the, oh, no other reason that they had put their faith in Christ as a Jewish person. They had accepted Jesus as the Messiah. So they had a lot of things that they were, and they got baptized. You know, we get baptized here. We clap. We say, if you're proud of this person, thank the Lord. They make a decision. Would you all say amen? We all say amen. We're happy. That wasn't always the way it was to the Jewish believer. They, they had to take it on the chin. They had to take, they had to do, we have some people in this room right now that, that when they got baptized, it was a party in here, but it was not a party going home. 
There wasn't a party explaining that to mom and dad and brothers and sisters and family. They still think they've fallen off their rocker. They still struggle with that. Well, that's how these Hebrews were. And they were wondering, is it worth it? Is it worth it to love and live for the Lord Jesus Christ? I know he saved me, and, and how shall we uh, neglect so great a salvation? We're saved, but it's, this is a hard road to hope. And they were missing some of the, the rituals they did. They remember taking the lamb and taking to the king to the priest and, and all the things that would go on whenever he would go into the Holy of Holies. But that, that wasn't needed anymore for a child of God because there was a big curtain that was cut in two when Jesus died on the cross and said, it is finished. It opened up. Now there wasn't a need. That priest and all of his linen ephod and his hat and his, his white breeches, linen breeches and, and all the things there, they didn't need that anymore because now they had Jesus. There's one God, one meter between God and man. The man? Yeah. We have now a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was at all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. And strategically, Whoever God chose to write the book of Hebrews really tells them, number one, the whole theme is to go on to maturity, to grow up and be mature. James had the same thought, but, he's, but he focuses, James focuses on 12 things that, that bring about maturity or show you're immature or mature, or things that help you grow to be mature. Hebrews kind of... Um, it says, it says, you're going to strive your greatest maturity is when you're going to realize who Jesus is. And the key word in the book of Hebrews is better. Jesus is better. Because they were throwing up some things. And Hebrews chapter 1 speaks about, about who Jesus is. He's the image of God. You know, he is, you know what God is like. Look at Jesus. Talks about who he is. He's the creator of the world. All that Jesus, and every time they would bring us, what about Moses? Jesus is better than Moses. What about Aaron, the priest? He's a better high priest. What about the old covenant? He's a better covenant. And every time they would bring up somebody else, how about angels? Oh, he's better than the angels. He made the angels. And strategically, chapters 1 through chapters 9 he goes and says, he is better, he's better, he's better, he's better, he's better covenant, better payment for sin, uh, he's a better, he's a better uh, high priest, all the things. Then in chapter 10, it kind of, kind of turns the pages a little bit and says, look, if, if he's better, let us draw near with a pure heart, with full assurance of faith. And, and look, let, let us consider one another, provoke each other to love and good works. If Jesus is better, it's what we ought to do. And not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is. But so much the more as we see the day approaching. And he goes on. Then he tells them, look, there are some people who believe Jesus was better too. How about Abel? He offered a better sacrifice. And, and how about Enoch? He walked with Jesus. He had the walk of faith. And, and Noah, he had the work of faith. He built an ark. All that, that ark was about Jesus. You get into Jesus, he gets into you. <laughs> and you don't go to hell. It, it's, it, it was Noah. And then Abraham and, 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 and Sarah left the earth of the Chaldees. And all they had was the word of Jesus. When people said, where are you running around like this? Why did you leave your home? Because Jesus told us to. Because the word of God told the voice of the Lord told us to. All they had is Jesus. 
But they believed and they looked for a city who's built and maker's God. All they, all, they, all they were doing is following what Christ, they believed Christ was worth it. And Isaac and Jacob and, and then Joseph, it talks about Joseph, how that he said, look, man, uh, he believed in Jesus so much. He said, look, when you, when you leave Egypt, take my bones with you. <laughs> I don't want to be associated with Egypt. I'm a, I, I walk to the beat of a different drum. I'm with Jesus. Make sure my bones get out of this, out of this worldly place. And then Moses, choosing to suffer the afflictions of the people of God, with the people of God, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin, evaluating or esteeming the riches of Christ, the Bible tells us. Even he wasn't, Jesus wasn't even here yet. He, he evaluated the coming Messiah was greater than enjoying the plush life of Egypt. And he goes right on down the road there and he continues to, to name out people who believe Jesus was better. And, and Gideon and Deborah and Barak and, and then people who had given their lives and others uh, who, who were saved and others who gave of themselves, had their kids ripped out of their arms. And he just said, these are all people who believe Jesus was better. And then he turns his attention in chapter 12 and he says, now, now those people are all gone. Those people are now in heaven's grandstand. They're in the bleachers of heaven and they've run their race. But their race can't be complete unless you keep running your race. You know, one of the reasons you're faithful today is to help those who ran before you. Because your win is their win. In chapter 11, verse 40, the Bible tells that very clearly. He says, look... Um, without you being faithful, those who ran before you, I think if I'm a good dad, and I just maybe for me, for if you allow me to be a little more personal here, but, but the truth of the matter is my, my dad was not raised like I was raised. He was raised in a very wicked home where alcohol, cussing, uh, tarot cards, crystal balls were on the front porch. It was a mess. And, uh, but my dad, my dad, a Sunday school teacher, uh, reached out to him and led him to Christ when he was 11 years old. And he didn't get discipled for a while, got out of the army and came back and God rested his heart. And my dad, he, he, he was faithful in so many ways. The truth of the matter is, he died at 57. He, he had expectation about what God was going to do with him. Didn't all happen the way he thought it would happen, but he turned his attention to six kids. And even though he was disappointed, a lot of things were happening in his life, he made sure we were at the youth group. He made sure that we were there on Wednesday night. He made sure we were there every Sunday school class. He invested so we can go to a Christian school. Sacrificed greatly. Never owned his own home. Never drove a nice car. Uh, just, just rented and, and kept those kids in, under the sound of the gospel. Youth, youth activities and youth camps and youth conferences. Whatever he could do to help his kids. And uh, I was just, I, I now live without my dad longer than I live with him. Just 27 years old whenever he passed away. And, and my dad's been with the Lord longer now than he's been with me. But, but the truth of the matter is, part of, my, part of his success is if my, me and my siblings will be successful. We can help them. You know, I, even our son Tyler, I don't know why God chose to take him at 17 years old. But whatever the reason is, I bet Tyler is saying, come on, Dad. Don't mess around on them down there. Uh, my race is done. We hand this off to you. Let's go. Come on, use my story if you have to. Tell, tell folks about it. Let folks get saved. Be faithful. Go off the, on the gospel explosion. There's nobody. Heaven's excited about the gospel explosion. You may not be, but the heaven is. 
Heaven's like, come on, man. You're not signed up? Get signed up. You're not going to be there Saturday? Come on. Everybody can give an hour. You can get somebody to come. When you can get someone to stand still, give you a gospel track, go witness someone. I bet heaven is, is saying, come on, please come. I bet Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are excited about it. Daniel's excited about it. Anybody who, who, who the, the apostles would be excited. And you and I, we've got, well, we've got other things to do. I'm, I'm, I'm good at this. I'm doing this right here. And we can't even walk across the street and try to participate. Come on now. They ought to get to go on that. But he says, look, now, now they're gone. It's your race. It's your race. And you'll want someone to take off with your baton after you die too. You'll know exactly what they want now. And the Bible says in chapter 12 that um, we're compassed about with so great a cloud. of Everyone lay, lay by every, every sin and weight which slows you down. Don't, don't do that. He said, remember the fan base. You've got people watching you. With this great cloud of witnesses. Remember, you want to run light? You got to run right. You got to run some light. You got to put down weights and sins. He said, remember, your focus is Jesus. Remember, your fight is against sin. Remember, your father is for you. Don't get mad at the father. He said, you know, no chasing of the present time is joyous. Don't get mad at the father. He's with you. He wants you to win. But he's going to chasten you. He's going to discipline you. He's going to make sure you get back on track because he loves you. He tells us, man, lift up your arms and lift up your knees and run the best you can. Get inner man's strength to do that. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man can see the Lord. He said, look, when you're running for the Lord, stay in your lane. Don't fight with everybody. Because fighting with this guy over here keeps you from looking at your end, looking at the, the, the focus, which is Jesus. Nothing skews our spiritual vision quite like interpersonal relationship issues. So, well, it's no big deal. I'm upset with my neighbor, but that's all right. No one knows about it. Oh, no, God knows about it. What it is, it keeps you from being focused. The devil is a sower of discord among, he hates, the, the Lord hates it. Why is it such abomination? Because it slows up every child of God in the work of God. When a pastor would sit down and write letters to 150 other of his friends about how bad this guy across town is, how does that help him reach the gospel to anybody else? He's wasting ink. He's wasting, he's wasting paper. He's not winning anything. It's distraction. And many Christians, we spend time getting fighting with other people and arguing about this or listen to this blog and find out which side you're going to listen. You're wasting your time. Getting your, you're, getting your head, you're getting your head not focused on the things of God. He said, follow peace with all men and rights without which no man can see the Lord. Then it says, beware. Watch that, that, that root of bitterness that springs up. Don't get bitter. Don't get bitter with circumstances. Don't get bitter with people. Don't get bitter with offenses or hurts or someone stole money from you. Hang it. Go out and make some more money. Don't spend your life trying to make sure someone else gets paid back for what they did wrong. It's, it, you're wasting your time. And we're off our rug. Vengeance is mine. It's the Lord's, saith the Lord. And then he closes out, look, God's a consuming fire. He's a consuming fire, and he tries our works. You know, he's just try, trying to burn up unsaved people. He's going to burn. He's going to burn away and see how much of my life is wood, hay, and stubble, and how much of that is gold, silver, and precious stone. He said, "Remember, you got an evaluation coming." And on the heels of chapter twelve, and the last verse in chapter twelve is chapter thirteen. And the unique thing about chapter thirteen, I think, it kind of just. Answers, it just says, just do this, 
do this, do this. He just gives some imperatives. And these imperatives are given to us, I think, to answer the question, am I totally convinced that Jesus is better? Is Jesus better in my life? And I think we can tell. He's used the whole book to talk about it. You're going to see Jesus shortly, pleasing, keep focused on him, consider him, keep running, remember God's a consuming fire. And if that's true, here are some things, if you do these things, you're going to prove that Jesus is better. Let's look at them quickly. I'm just going to go through them just kind of quick for you. I'm not going to do an extensive study, and I don't even have enough brains to do that. So let's look at verse number one. This is a great memory verse. It's only four words. Can you memorize this verse right here? Let's read it. Here we go. Ready? Let... He said, if Jesus is better, love your brothers and sisters in Christ and don't stop doing it. Let brotherly love continue. When love is, is thin, other people's, your brother's faults are thick. When love is, is thick, your brothers and sisters' faults are thin. Love covereth a multitude of sin. He said, look, if Jesus is better, then keep loving your brother. Keep loving your sister. Don't let something come, come between them. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. That's it's simple. So, so if Jesus is better to you, we'll, I think here's the first test question. Do you, will you keep loving your brother and sister? Are you going to be a source of drama? Are you going to be a source of contention? Are you, love, are you a lover of good men? That's a good thing to think about. Number two, let's look at the next thing. If Jesus is better, be not forgetful to entertain who? Strangers, now that is not probably, it's talking about Christians, I believe, most of the time, that you don't know. It's people that are in the family of God, but they're, they're foreigners to you. You don't know who they are. He said, boy, you've got to always be sensitive to those in the household of faith. He said, be, be careful. Be, do not for, be not forgetful. Don't forget to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. He says, some people have not known this, but God has sent someone from his family and his service of angels ministering spirits, and they've entertained them. They didn't even know it. And I don't know who that is. I'm not sure if I've ever done that personally. Sometimes I feel like, I'm like where did that guy come from, and where did they go away so fast, and I've never seen him again. And it could be that's the case. I think I've heard stories about that. But he said, look, if you've got a brother and sister in Christ, and you can entertain them, you can help them, you can give them... Give them, give them a bed to lay in or give them a ride to some place. You can help them with something they need. You can feed them a meal. Do it. So I don't even know those people. Don't keep that from doing it. And you know what? You don't do things because, because you feel like it. You do it because it's right to do. Every once in a while people say, oh, pastor, you're just different than me. You like to spend time with all kinds of people. You know, quite frankly, I don't need fellowship. I need a break, you know. I, I, love, I love people. But the truth of the matter is, I don't spend time with people just because I love it. I, I, I try to do it for the right reason. That's because they need it. Or it's good for everybody. It's good for other people. You know, it, I, 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 I'm a pastor of this church, and I'm not the greatest pastor, but, but I get to pastor this wonderful people, and I love that. But uh, I didn't want to go down to Indian Creek and, and drive six hours down there and... and throw softballs and, and go, to, go, to, go to a camp service just because it makes me feel good. Okay? 
but and sleep on a bunk bed and come back and go to the next camp and throw softballs and go to a service and sing songs and eat a hot dog and talk to the kids. I, I really, I could have felt good just staying right here. But you know, truth of the matter is, and I'm not, I, I'm giving myself as an example, please forgive me, but the truth of the matter is, it's because there's a calling, there's an opportunity, there's an, there's an opportunity to talk to someone. I stood and talked to a young man about his salvation that I probably would never have done had I not had the chance to do that. Now, to be able to see boys and girls who don't have a dad at home, or I know their situation, it's a struggling situation. One of those beautiful young, young men I saw there, and unfortunately his mom was found uh, on the street, passed, died last year. And just thinking about what was going on behind his, his, his mind is, as he listens to my mom and dad and all this other stuff. And his situation is a little different than anybody else's. But to look him in the eyes, I'm so glad you're in school. You're going to do good. I'm so proud of you. I, do that. you don't, I can't do that from Hammond. <laughs> but, you know, all of us, we want to, do, we, want to, we, want to, we want to engage in other people's life because this is what love does. This is what people do whenever God is greater. When, when Jesus is better, I'll love the brother. When Jesus is better, I'll, I'll entertain and help other people. I'll use what God has given us for the benefit of my friends and, and my loved ones. Unsaved, yes, but especially those in the household of faith. Verse number three, look at that one real quickly, if you would, please. Read it with me, ready? Remember them that are in bonds and being bound with them. Them that suffer adversity and being yourselves also. He said, the third thing, if Jesus is better, you will be sympathetic to people who are going through difficult times. And those at this time who are in bonds, I don't know there was ever, you know, a guy, I think it's good to write people in prison, and I try to do that. I've done that many times. And, and sometimes people go to prison because they're guilty and they've did something wrong. It doesn't mean you need to abandon them. You can still love them and help them. But these are people are probably are people who are in jail because of the gospel. And oftentimes, Apostle Paul said, I know that many of you are afraid of my, you're ashamed of my chains. I'm in jail and you don't, you, you, you're like, why that jailbird? Why? He gives everybody a bad name. I'm not going to go see him. I'm not going to go visit him. That's his fault. If he can't shut his mouth and behave himself in the crowd, then you know, everywhere he goes, it's either revival or a riot. Usually it's a riot. I'm not going to go visit that guy. He said, you might want to remember the people that are suffering difficulties because of the cause of Christ. Or anyone who is going through adversity. I'll just say this parenthetically. But I think one of the greatest um, reasons that God has chosen to honor First Baptist Church is because it helps people when they're hurting. It, when Linda and I, our son Tyler passed away, one of the first checks we got in the mail for $1,000 was from First Baptist Church of Hammond. Most of you didn't know who I was from, from Adam. But a check came, and Pastor Scott wrote a letter and said, you know, we're so sorry, we can't be there. We're sad that this happened to you. You're our brother, and we want to do something to help you. Maybe it was a Wednesday night offering, I don't know. But it was an encouragement. But this church has been used of God to help people in adversities. If someone has a flood, well, some of our largest offerings we take on a Wednesday night are when there is someone hurting somewhere in the planet, and we have a chance to give toward that, we'll do it. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a great thing. And it's a biblical thing. It shows that Christ is better. We remember people going through difficult times. Verse number four, let's read it together. Can we please? Verse number four, everybody. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. 
you kind of need this kind of reads like a proverb in a way because this looks like okay helping strangers being sympathetic to people and now it goes right into morality he said marriage one of the ways you can show that jesus is better if you honor marriage when you exalt marriage you say marriage is the honorable thing can i just say something else real quickly um if marriage is honorable do it honorably be careful, girls, how you, you decide your dresses you're going to have at your wedding. I, I just encourage you, make sure you, it's, it's an honorable thing. Why in the world would you want to have alcohol at your, at your wedding? That's nothing honorable. It gets out of control with that. Well, my family, well, this is, you know, I, I just don't, I don't get it. Marriage is ordained by God. It should be, in, in the wedding, should be done honorable. And if God's for it, let's do it, let's do it the right way. And then he said the physical relationship between a man and his wife is undefiled. No one else is welcome. That's between he and her, and that's it. And it's a beautiful thing inside of marriage. But if you want to do it outside of marriage, you're a whoremonger. You're an adulterer. And it not only gives it, it not only is immorality a judgment, it brings complicated judgment. And he says here, if Jesus is better, then be pure. Be pure in your morals, whether inside of marriage or outside of marriage. And you cannot, you cannot have the relationship God wants you to have. And, and whenever we get immoral and get a little bit uh, uh, into sexual innuendos and things of that nature, what we're saying is I don't value Jesus. Because if Jesus is better, then I'll love the brethren. If Jesus is better, I'll use what I have for the benefit, especially of the household. If Jesus is better, I am going to, I'm going to be sympathetic to those that are in bonds because of the Christ, cause of Christ, and because of the adversity. I'll, I'll love them and run to them, not run away from them. And I'm going to live in a pure, moral way. Be pure in your motives, be pure in your morals. How about chapter 5, or verse 5? Let's look at that if you can, please. And uh, men, why don't you read this for me? All the men, Ready? Let your conversation be without and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee. He said, the, the, the next way, the fifth way that we can show Christ is better is to have a contented spirit. Discontented Christians are really a plague to the name of Christ. What do you have to be angry about? Really? What do you have to complain about? The new Christian that got saved just in May had the joy to lead to Christ, and he told me, he goes, Pastor, when you ask me how's it going, I don't have anything. If I complain about anything, I would just be plumb selfish. Thinking about getting saved, and my life is so different now. I'm in this discipleship. God's been good to me. I look across the room. I see my wife. I see my kids. I got a, a gainful employment. To complain about anything, what am I, what would I be, why, I don't even, I don't want to answer that with anything negative, Pastor. That's someone been saved for four or five months. Someone's been saved for four decades and we complain about everything. We're not happy about this and that and the other. And the Bible says, let your conversation, the way you live your life, be without covetousness. The itch for more. Frustrated because this hasn't happened, this hasn't happened, and I'm angry about this. And boy, when I get my when I get with them, I'm going to tell them a, a thing or two. Look, he said, don't don't let your life be about that. Find yourself being happy with what God is giving you. 
Brother Hiles taught us many things years ago as our pastor, and I'm so grateful. He taught us to not put God on trial. I, I love that particular thought. But this, not another thought that I remember very specifically, he said, contentment is want what you have, not what you don't have. How many remember Brother Hiles saying that years ago? Want what you have. So whatever key that you take out of your pocket and put in the door tonight of your house, want that house. Want that room. So I went next year, I'm going to live on rice. I don't want to live on alone. Okay? You might want to just be happy that you're where you are. Say, Lord, thank you for this room. Whatever, you get to put your key in a vehicle tonight. And whether it's a Lamborghini or a Ford Pinto, if you get, if you get to, I don't know, I've never seen a, I haven't seen a Pinto in probably five years, so I don't know if they even run or not. But, you know, if, if whatever key you put your car in, why don't you say, Lord, I'm going to take a handle of this, this, this uh, steering wheel. Lord, thank you for this vehicle. It's the one you gave me. When you get your clothes out tomorrow morning and you open your drawer or you, you, pull, you pull your closet open, Lord, thank you for these clothes. Thank you for this situation. Be content with such things as you have. Because a, 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 a big qualifier is if you have God, he's never going to leave you nor forsake you. If you have him with you, you're, you're good. You're good for the rest of eternity. He'll never going to leave you nor forsake you. So what in the world you got to be upset about? What are you complaining about? You still got God? He's enough. And this shows us if Jesus is better. We'll talk about maybe a few more things in a couple weeks. But... Uh, let me, let me encourage you. I want you to say tonight, Lord, I do believe that you're better. Then teach me to love my brother. Teach me to entertain people I don't even know. Lord, teach me to be sympathetic to hurting people instead of being judgmental and saying, well, you deserve it, they deserve it, they got what they deserve. Maybe I should be more sympathetic and grateful that God didn't give me what I deserve. Be pure in my motives my morals, especially in the areas of, 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 of sexual things that God talks about right here. He said, no, you don't tell me Jesus is better and you live like a pervert. Don't do that. I'm not, here to, I'm not here to criticize you. And if you've got problems in that area, many people do. It's a wicked world. But you can be pure in a, in a foul world. You can. And God can help you. It's going to take several things. Humility, honesty, it's going to take holiness, and it's going to take some help. Probably a battle buddy. You think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. I don't want anybody to know about it. You might, you, you're going to probably be in a ditch again. So you humble yourself to be honest and say, I want to be holy, and God, give me someone to help me. Might be a good idea for all of us. And then be content with such things you have. Our Father, thank you for the privilege of the Word of God.